welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert, I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum, seize the night. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Zool. If you are a planetary observer, then you are going to really enjoy this month. The planets are putting on a great show this October. Not to be outdone, Mercury is putting on a decent performance in the morning skies this month. On October 1st, Mercury rises almost 70 minutes before the sun, but you'll need a good eastern horizon to spot it. On the mornings of the 6th, 7th, and 8th, Mercury will be just over 5 degrees above the eastern horizon at 6 a.m. before the sun washes it out. If you have a good horizon to the east, it's worth trying to catch a glimpse of the innermost planet in our solar system. Venus spends all month lost in the glare of the sun. In November, it will return to the evening skies. But the outer planets are the ones that are ruling the evening skies this month. On October 1st, as darkness falls, the 38% illuminated crescent moon is in the south-southwest sky, while Saturn is in the southeast, and Jupiter is about 10 degrees over the eastern horizon. As the night goes on, Saturn will reach its peak altitude about 32 degrees above the southern horizon around 9.45 p.m. Bright Jupiter will reach its peak around 12.30 a.m. and be much higher up at just over 48 degrees elevation for observers at 40 degrees north. The further south you are, the higher the planets will be in the sky. That is, until you get pretty far south in the southern hemisphere. Mars starts the month rising just after 10 p.m., but it won't be high enough to get a decent view until around midnight. However, by month's end, Mars will rise just before 8.30 p.m. To get a good glimpse of Mars, you'll want to wait until later in the night when it's higher in the sky. As October begins, Mars glows brightly at magnitude minus 0.6, but by the end of the month, it will be shining even brighter at magnitude minus 1.2 as it nears its opposition in December. During the month, Mars will appear to get larger as well, growing from about 12 arc seconds across to about 15 arc seconds. The red planet spends the entire month in the constellation Taurus the Bull. Due to its brilliance, it will be easy to spot. However, you'll need a telescope to see any details on the surface of the planet. But if the seeing is good, you should easily spot the polar cap and some surface details. On October 14th, the waning gibbous moon will join Mars in the sky, appearing only three degrees away from the red planet. While that will look beautiful, Jupiter is the show-stealer as far as the planets go this month. Having reached opposition in late September, Jupiter is pretty low in the east at sunset at the start of the month. But by month's end, Jupiter will be high in the southeast at sunset, 
Only the moon will outshine it in the nighttime skies this month. As October begins, Jupiter is bright at magnitude minus 2.93, and it spans nearly 50 arc seconds in diameter. You should be able to just make out its disk in binoculars, and seeing the four bright Galilean moons are easy with 50 millimeter binoculars. But observing it through a telescope will reveal so much more detail. The equatorial band should stand out, and if you time it right, the great red spot can be seen most nights. What other details can you spot? As the month goes on, Jupiter rises earlier each day, and by the end of the month it will be about 30 degrees above the horizon as darkness falls. However, with each day past opposition, Jupiter will continue to fade and appear smaller. By the end of October it will still be bright, but will have dimmed to magnitude minus 2.7 and its disk will have shrunk to about 47 arc seconds. It will still look great in almost any telescope. On the evening of the 8th, Jupiter will only be about 3.5 degrees away from the moon. It will be a beautiful sight. The pair should be easy to see in most binoculars. One of my favorite resources to use is an app called Mobile Observatory. It works on both Android and Apple devices. It has a great utility to see which part of Jupiter will be facing us at any given day or time, and it makes tracking the Galilean moons a breeze. It also has a section on Saturn so that you can figure out exactly which moons you're looking at when observing Saturn. Speaking of Saturn, it will be about 25 degrees above the southeastern horizon as darkness falls on the 1st. By the end of the month, Saturn will be nearing its highest in the south, appearing around 31 degrees above the horizon. This will be the best time to observe it, as you'll be looking through less of the Earth's atmosphere than if you waited until, say, 9 p.m. The standout feature of Saturn is its ring system, which is simply stunning to see. You can just make out the rings in binoculars, but with a telescope, they're easy to see. Saturn spends the entire month in the constellation Capricorn, making it well-placed on October evenings. On October 5th, the 81% illuminated moon appears just over 5.5 degrees southeast of Saturn. Uranus spends the month in Aries. It reaches opposition next month and is visible to the naked eye in dark, rural locations. The planet is glowing at magnitude 5.5. So if you're in an area with light pollution, binoculars will help you spot this distant gas giant. In a telescope, you'll be able to resolve the 3.7 arc second pale blue disk of the planet. Can you spot any of its moons? If you're in the northwestern part of the U.S. on October 11th, you'll be able to observe the moon occulting or covering Uranus. For most of the country, it will be a near miss. Where I am, in New Jersey, Uranus will miss the limb of the moon by only nine arc minutes. Because the moon is so much brighter than Uranus, you'll need a telescope to spot the pair. It should be interesting to watch. Neptune spends the month in Aquarius. On the first, it's about nine degrees west of Jupiter, and by the end of the month, their separation will have shrunk to being just over six degrees apart. 
To spot Neptune, you'll need binoculars as it's faint at magnitude 7.8. In a telescope with good seeing conditions, you should be able to make out its disk that spans a mere two and a half arc seconds in diameter. Whenever I've observed Neptune, to me it looks like a bloated bluish star. Unfortunately, I've never been able to spot any details on the disk. On October 21st, the Orionid meteor shower is at its peak. The best time to look for meteors will be from around 1 a.m. until around 4 a.m. The waning crescent moon rises around 4, and this will make spotting faint meteors difficult once it's in the sky. The radiant, or the point where the meteors appear to originate from, will be between Mars and the red star Betelgeuse. Away from city lights and being well dark adapted, you could see as many as 15 to 20 meteors per hour. You'll want to watch an area of the sky about 30 degrees away from the radiant to try to spot them. Bring a comfortable chair, some hot coffee, and dress warm, as October nights can be chilly. That's all for our tour of the solar system this month. Now we'll move on to explore the constellations Pegasus the Flying Horse, Lacerda the Lizard, and Cepheus the King. As darkness falls at the beginning of the month, Pegasus is just over 20 degrees above the eastern horizon. By the end of the month, the easternmost parts of Pegasus will be more than 40 degrees above the horizon as darkness falls. The constellation is easy to spot due to an asterism or alignment of stars that make up the great square of Pegasus. The great square is made up of four second magnitude stars, so it's easy to spot unless you're in the heart of a city. One of the stars in the square, Alpha Rats, actually lies over the border in the neighboring constellation Andromeda, but it's still referred to as the Great Square of Pegasus. The brightest star in Pegasus is magnitude 2.39 Enif, or Epsilon Pegasi, a yellow-orange supergiant star that's located just over 672 light-years away from us. Like many other stars, Enif has a companion star, although it's much fainter at magnitude 8.49, making it more than 250 times fainter than Enif. The pair are separated by just over two and a half arc minutes. It's an extremely challenging pair to spot, but Enif is a great guidepost to locate lots of other things in the sky. The star Shi'at, or Beta Pegasi, is a giant star that is similar in color and apparent brightness to Enif. Beta Pegasi is slightly fainter at magnitude 2.42, but to me, visually, it's hard to tell the difference between their brightness. Beta also has a double star, but its companion is ninth magnitude and two arc minutes away. It's tough to spot in the glare, but keen observers can spot it. The most famous deep sky object in Pegasus is the globular cluster M15. I've always enjoyed this cluster and it is best seen on October and November evenings. To locate M15, start at Enif and sweep three and a half degrees west and then sweep just over two degrees north and you should see the cluster in a low power eyepiece. 
This beautiful globular cluster shines at magnitude 6.3 and spans 11 arc minutes. Made up of more than 100,000 stars, it is 175 light years across and is located 35,700 light years away from us. It's easy to spot with binoculars as a small, round, hazy patch of light. You'll need at least a 6-inch telescope to be able to resolve any of the cluster's stars, however. As the days march on, M15 will be higher each evening at the same time for several months. So it makes a great starting point for your night's list of objects to observe. Our next object in Pegasus is the spiral galaxy NGC 7331, also known as Caldwell 30, or the Deerlick group of galaxies. This galaxy is magnitude 9.5, so you'll want to use at least a 6-inch or larger scope to try to spot it. It is located nearly 40 million light years away from us. The galaxy spans 9 by 3.5 arc minutes, and to me looks very similar in structure to M65 in LEO, although smaller. There are several other faint galaxies nearby NGC 7331, which is why it is sometimes referred to as the Deerlick Group, although to be honest, I have no idea where Deerlick came from. To locate the galaxy, start at magnitude 2.4 Shiat, the star that's at the upper right corner of the Great Square. About 2 degrees east-northeast lies the star Matar, or Eta Pegasi. Make a line from Shiat to Matar, and go about 1.5 degrees past Matar on that line. Now sweep 3.5 degrees north, and you should have the galaxy in your eyepiece. At low power, it will look like an elongated smudge of light. Using averted vision, looking toward the edge of the field, you might be able to make out the spiral structure of the galaxy. Try increasing the magnification to see if you can pick out any more details. But remember, as you increase magnification, the object will appear dimmer. Of interesting note, several supernovae have been observed within this galaxy, with the last occurring in 2014. Our last object in Pegasus is a bit of a challenge. I've observed this galaxy with an 8-inch telescope several times. The galaxy in question is NGC 7479, which is a barred spiral galaxy. It is located 105 million light-years away from us and glows dimly at magnitude 11.6. The fact that it spans only 4 by 3 arc minutes gives it relatively high surface brightness for an object this faint. This is a face-on barred spiral, so on long exposure images, its structure is easy to see. Observing it through a telescope, you should see the bright core and the bar of the galaxy extending out from the core. You're likely going to need at least a 10-inch or larger telescope to try to make out the spiral arms off of the ends of the bar. Another good thing about this galaxy is that it's relatively easy to locate. To find NGC 7479, start at the magnitude 2.45 star Markab, which is the bottom right star of the square, and sweep 3 degrees south, and you should have the galaxy in a low-power eyepiece. Let us know if you were able to spot it. 
The next constellation that we'll explore this month is Lacerta, the lizard. Lacerta is located due north of Pegasus and is not a large constellation. Its brightest star is magnitude 3.77 Alpha Lacertae. The easiest object to spot in Lacerta is the open cluster NGC 7243 or Caldwell 16. This cluster is made up of just over 100 stars and it shines at magnitude 6.4 and spans 21 arc minutes. In binoculars, you'll see it as a hazy patch, about two-thirds the size of the full moon. In a telescope, you should be able to resolve dozens of stars within the cluster. To locate this object, start at the brightest star in Lacerta, Alpha Lacertae, and sweep two and a half degrees west, and then half a degree south. It's that easy. Lacerta has several other open clusters that you can explore, but we're going to move on to our last constellation that we'll explore this month, Cepheus, the king. Cepheus is a large circumpolar constellation for most of the northern hemisphere. Circumpolar means that it doesn't set for certain locations. Since Cepheus extends nearly to the North Pole, it gains its circumpolar status. It extends 46 degrees south, with the southern edge of the constellation at about 54 degrees north declination. While Cepheus is supposed to represent a king, to me it looks like a house with a steep roof. The house asterism is made up of one second magnitude star and four third magnitude stars. The brightest star in the constellation is Aldermid, and it is a double star but its companion is 9.1 magnitudes fainter than the main star. They're separated by six and a half arc minutes, so you really need to know where to look to be able to spot the companion. The constellation holds many deep sky objects, but there are three relatively famous nebulae within its boundaries that are worth a look. The first one is the Wizard Nebula. It's cataloged as Sharpless 2-142, but it is associated with the open cluster NGC 7380, discovered by Sir William Herschel in 1787. The cluster often gets overlooked by the nebula, which was discovered much later. Many people say that they see parts of a silhouetted wizard in long exposure images of this nebula. I've been able to observe the nebula with an 8-inch telescope from dark skies. Visually, it will appear as a gray cloud floating in front of the open cluster. The nebula shines at magnitude 7.2, but it's fairly large and spans about 25 arc minutes, or just less than the width of the full moon. The nebula is located about 8,500 light years away from us. To locate the wizard, start at Alpha Lacertae and sweep eight degrees north. Then sweep just over two degrees east and you should see the cluster in a bit of nebulosity. Using a light pollution filter will help pull out the nebulosity. The Iris Nebula is a popular object for astrophotographers, but it can be a little challenging to spot visually. But under dark skies with a six inch telescope, it can be done. The Nebula, a reflection nebula, is cataloged as LBN 487 or Caldwell 4, and it's associated with the open cluster NGC 7023. A reflection nebula 
is a cloud of dust and gas that is reflecting light off of a nearby star. In this case, the 7.4 magnitude star SAO 19158. The cluster and nebula shine at magnitude 6.8 and span 18 arc minutes in size. In long exposure images, it does resemble a flower and it's blue like an iris. To locate it, start at Alpha Cephei and sweep two degrees west and then five and a half degrees north and you should spot the cluster and nebula. NGC 188 is a very unique open cluster. It's also cataloged as Caldwell 1. It's not very bright at magnitude 8.1, but it's interesting for other reasons. The main reason that astronomers have studied this cluster so much is because of its age. It is estimated to be 6.8 billion years old, making it one of the oldest known open clusters in our galaxy. It is made up of about 200 stars and is located about 5,000 light years away. The cluster spans a quarter of a degree, so it's a good object to explore at higher magnifications. It is situated only four degrees south of Polaris, making it a little tough to find unless you have setting circles. But you can star hop to it by starting at Alari, known as Gamma Cephei, and sweeping eight degrees toward Polaris, and then sweeping one degree east. That should put the cluster right in your field of view. The last object that we'll explore in Cepheus is IC 1396. This is the third of the trio of nebulae that I mentioned earlier, commonly referred to as the Elephant's Trunk Nebula. It too is associated with an open cluster that is sometimes called the Misty Clover Cluster. This is a big object. The emission nebula spans about three degrees across and glows at magnitude 3.5. However, due to its size, it's difficult to spot. I've been able to spot it with 50 millimeter binoculars from Vermont as a large, dim, hazy patch of light. The elephant's trunk is an area of dark nebula that looks like the silhouette of an elephant's head and trunk. The entire complex lies about 1,565 light years away from us. To locate it, start at third magnitude Zeta Cephei and sweep four degrees west and you should spot it in binoculars. With a telescope and careful observations, you can make out some of the brighter parts of this gorgeous nebula. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a text or a voicemail message at 973-404-0380. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy podcast group on Facebook. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, the Astro Guy podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe. It would be great if you would consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform, as this will help us get new listeners. Thank you again for tuning in, 
and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.